How many of you could testify to what she just sang, that you've experienced God's goodness for many years in your life? Let's just celebrate that today. He is. He's good in the good times, and he's good in the bad times. God's word has the answer to our questions and our desperate needs today, and we come together on the weekends as the result of a life lived in him throughout the week to give him praise and the worship that he deserves. Thanks. Thank you for setting aside the time to spend this hour in his word and worshiping him. Let's continue celebrating life change. Last Saturday night, Carter Hurst was baptized along with his sister Morgan. It was very exciting. And then, of course, you were here last weekend, many of you, as Brooklyn Newby gave her life to Jesus Christ. Then last night, Dorothy Barr, we'll have her picture for you next week, but uh, it's so exciting every week to know that not only are people responding publicly and giving their life to Jesus Christ, but I mentioned last month that we have over 12 students then, and you've seen many of them come already, who are talking with their parents about this lifetime decision that they're getting ready to make, and it's so exciting. And I know there are many in this room that need to take a next step of some kind in your walk with Jesus Christ, and I encourage you today Today, at the end of the message, there's an opportunity for you to respond. It's great to have Scott Gillis with us this morning, and Emily, his wife, was here last night. And, and I just I want to say to you, Scott, publicly, there are few men, let alone men and his wife, who would just stop everything and spend 16 days back-to-back, -back, or however many days it was, in the hospital because you did not want to leave the care of your daughter to anyone other than the two of you. And that's the way it should be, my friend. And I thank you for being that example to us. And I'm so grateful that God has provided. He started her healing and she's home now. She's beginning to take different types of nourishment. And I know, I know her mom and dad, just like any mom and dad would, are praying for this to be a long-term uh, fix for her and recovering, that she, she would not have to deal with this again. Well, take your Bible and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah, another book of prophecy. Uh, it's about seven books uh, back towards the front from the Gospel of Matthew. It's, it's just a couple pages long, and so it's very easy to go past it. But we're going to be in the book of Jonah. We're going to look primarily at the first two chapters, but all four chapters are extremely important. As this week, we look at the account of one of the most famous, the one of the most famous runners. How many of you jog on the weekends? Do a little running? Anybody? Good. I, I don't either. The only time I run is when Golden Corral opens, right? Just get there as fast as I can. But I, but I know some of you run. So some of you are like my wife, your weekend marathoners. And, and right now, please pray for her foot. She has plantar fasciitis and she's already had to cancel her Chicago marathon and it's really hard on her. Uh, that's her relief. And so just encourage her if you can uh, this week. Uh, we're not talking though about an Olympic athlete, but there's no runner that's more famous than a guy named Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. 
Jonah, like we've been talking last week when we, when we looked at another prophet, Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a spokesperson for God. He was there to deliver the word of God. But what makes this book of Jonah different than the others is that this book is about his personal struggle with God. His struggle to get in alignment, get his life in alignment with what God had asked him to deliver to a people group that he, that he had no room in his heart for, quite frankly. But more than it is, I hope there's not a storm close by. I just heard the, okay, good. I heard the weatherman go off there. But more than a story about running and Jonah's run, it's a story about the one who runs after us and his amazing grace and his goodness. Like David said, my hope is that you'll discover the God whose grace and mercy follows you, runs after you all the days of your life. Let's read together. Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, three weeks ago, we looked at the life of David, Israel's most famous king. After David, we looked at the life of his son, Solomon. Remember Solomon, the, the books of wisdom that he's given us here in God's word? Well, anybody know who followed Solomon in the Bible as the next earthly king? Remember, God was to be the king, but the people wanted an earthly king. Well, his two boys, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, right? I, I love it when we don't stray, but just a couple of alphas in the name of our children, right? Helps us remember. It's like, this is my brother, Bob, my other brother, Bob. One has two B's and one's got one. We got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And the thing about these guys that's important in the history of Israel is that they could not get along. They fought over who was going to be the king, the most important one. And this God used to divide the nation into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Jeroboam ruled the north. But both kings ignored what God did and, di and did whatever they wanted. And once again, the nation found its self-distance from God. And so when Jeroboam's rule was over, he passed it down to his son, Jeroboam II, another creative name. But the important thing is, is that Jonah was the prophet mentioned that helped turn the nation back around in 2 Kings chapter 14. So, so I, I want you to remember this, and maybe this is one of those things that, that isn't that important, but it is to understand this. And, and that is that in 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah had a heart for God's people and the message that God gave him. Israel, who had turned their back on God, who were sinners. They were idol worshipers. But yet Jonah had a heart for them, same heart that God does. And so God used him to once again turn the heart of his people back around. Now, that's important because when Jonah gets the call to go to Nineveh to lead them to repentance... Well, it's a whole different story for Jonah. Why? Because the Ninevites were just about as bad as bad can get. You talk about a nasty people, a people who lived so contrary to God. They had never followed God, unlike the Israelites. 
And so when God said, I want you to go and I want you to preach a message of repentance, I want these people to turn, otherwise I'm going to destroy them. Jonah says, well, go ahead and destroy them. I have no desire because I know if I deliver this message, the same message I delivered back when Jeroboam II was king about your kindness and your grace and your mercy, I know that they're going to relent. They're going to turn back to you. And so Jonah, verse 3 says, Jonah ran away from the Lord. Now the New Living Translation says it best. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction of the Lord. Uh, any of you ever done that? Uh, maybe not intentionally, but, but maybe so. What is the opposite direction of God? Is it a detour, right? We just get off track for a few weeks, maybe a few months, but, but we get right back online. Maybe we decide, maybe we decide to put in some new coordinates in our GPS, you know? Uh, maybe we've come to a different understanding about God and, and what he wants. So, so we put those coordinates in and we kind of go our own way. But what defines being going the opposite direction of God? Well, I think every time we declare our independence from him, I, I think every time we say, God, I don't care what you want, whether we say it out loud or whether we say it with our actions, God, I don't care what you want. I'm not doing that. We are going in the opposite direction of God. I don't care what you say about forgiveness. I'm never going to forgive them. I don't care what you say about sexual purity. It's my body. I'll do what I want to do. I don't care if you want me to tell so-and-so about your grace. They don't deserve it, God. But listen, willful disobedience is never a detour. Willful disobedience is not just an adjustment of our GPS. Willful obedience is never just slightly off course. It is running the opposite direction from God. And that's what Jonah chose. Verse 3 continues, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, the seaport that was famous, the port that you could go and you could go any place from there, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, Tarshish. Tarshish was as far west as Nineveh was to the east. It's like God saying to me, I, I want you to go to uh, Massachusetts, Boston. Is that about as far east as you can go? I, I want you to go there. But I decide that I'm going to get on an airplane and I'm going to go to L.A., right? You, you get the message. There's, I think, 3,000 miles difference between Nineveh and Tarshish. Verse 3 continues. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. You know, when Olivia was four or five years old, <laughs> one of my fondest memories was playing hide and seek with her back in the woods. We had a little playground, and when we weren't swinging on the swing for hours, I've still got a, a shoulder that I can't raise my army further than this because of pushing her on the swing all the time. When we weren't pushing on the swing, she wanted to play hide and seek. You remember those days? 
four or five years old. We had several trees right there around the playground. And she said, close your eyes, Daddy. I'm going to go hide and you know, make sure you count to 3,000 or whatever it was. But that girl, she would not go more than 10 feet away. And where she was hiding was always so obvious. She was behind the tree, but I could always see her peeking around the tree. But I would play along and I would say, where's Olivia? Where's Olivia? And I'd walk around because any time spent searching for her was time not swinging or on the swing, right? <laughs> and then finally, finally, I would say, there you are. In chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God's command, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? Now, now, do you think he really didn't know where they were? Uh, of course he knew where they were. We hide, my friends, to avoid the truth about ourself being discovered. Why had Adam and Eve hidden? Because they had sinned against God, and they knew, they knew that when God saw them, he would know that, but they thought that hiding from him would prevent that. Willful disobedience is never just slightly off course. And when we've gone off course, the fear of our own disobedience being discovered makes us try to hide. My thought is that Jonah went to Nineveh thinking that he could escape God because in his heart, in his heart, he did not want to see Nineveh saved. And he knew that that was so against what God desired. God's desire of him was to go and to see them come to God's grace and mercy. But the fear of our own disobedience being discovered makes us want to cover up with fig leaves. Jonah hid because of his heart. He knew what God was asking. So what's got you hiding from God? Uh, all of us, remember, all of us have, have run, whether we're weekend runners or, or it's just been our life. We've run and we've run and we've run. But what's got you hiding? What, what is it in your life that, that you just really aren't sure you want God to see? Last year, family and I were staying in Pikes Peak, Colorado. You'll remember the mountains that they tried to kill me on. This was when we were in the valley. We were down the valley. We were staying at a hotel. It was one of, I think, like eight or nine different hotels we'd stayed in during that trip. And about 11, 12 o'clock, Sarah gets a hankering for a taco. It still happens all the time. She, she wants taco. Girls want ice cream. And you, and you know what it's like. You're in a town for the first time. It's dark out. You don't know where anything is. So I jump in the rental car. I head down the road, and, and I see a place right there. The lights are still on. So I whip in there, and, and they're closed, right? You pull up there, and it's, we're closed for tonight. Well, can't you just give me some ice cream? I really, no, no, no. So I drive. I go across the road to another place. And every time across the road, it takes like 10 minutes. I got to wait for light to change. And finally... 
Sarah didn't know about this until last night when I spoke it for the first time. Finally, I was so distraught about getting this ice cream and tacos that that light, it, it had been red for days. And I, and I just decided I was going to just run right through it. And as I was running through it, I saw the brightest flash of light that I've ever seen. And I thought, wow, that's an angel of God appearing right there before me. It wasn't until just a few months after we got home that I received a bill from the car rental company <laughs> for the ticket I received along with a picture <clears throat> of me driving going, right? <clears throat> but the point is, the point is, is that just like that traffic camera, God sees it all. <laughs> he sees it all, whether we see the light flash or not. God sees it all. Jeremiah 23, 23, am I only a God nearby and not far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so I don't see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth the writer of Hebrews says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He sees it all. What's the point? It's futile to run. It's futile to hide. It's futile to try to avoid God or try to fake him out. But like us, Jonah had to try. And so hoping to escape the Lord, he got on the boat and he headed for Tarshish. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. God loves storms on the sea. It happens again in the New Testament several times. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and they cried out to his own God. I want you to think about that for a minute. Can you imagine all the babbling and foolishness? We, we looked last week at, at Baal and Asher and the foolishness that went on. With just, can you imagine a dozen men crying out differently to their... Well, I see it every day, don't you? P people crying out to the God of, of their flesh. <laughs> P uh, people crying out to a relationship. Just, just, just love me and I'll be okay. Uh, people crying out to the God of resources and pocketbook full of money. A violent storm arose. The sailors are crying out to their own gods. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> that struck me. A deep sleep in the middle of a storm. Now, one of the guys last night, he uh, was a Navy man and he was on a ship for three years, he said, uh, out to sea. And he said, I slept like a baby, you know, down below deck. Well, there's a big difference. There's a big, it's like the difference between a Cadillac and a Yugo, if you even remember Yugos, right? These little bitty boxes. And I can't imagine being asleep in the hull of this ship in what was such a violent storm that all of these pagans are crying out to their God. But isn't that where we find ourselves when we have gone the opposite direction of God? Oblivious to the storm that is stirring up around us. When we've run from God, we become oblivious to the storms. 
Let me give you an example. Perhaps this is your life. You chose, you were raised up in church. You know the word of God. You know that it says that you should be not unequally yoked. You should marry someone who shares your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But you said, no, God, no, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. You run from him, you turn from him, and you marry an unbeliever, thinking surely one day they'll come around. Oh, they come around. Because now, years later, you're a little more serious in your faith, and they're still just as unbelieving as they were when you married them. And what kind of storm's going on in your house? You're not going to give that much money to the church. They're kids. Boys are going to be boys. No, no, God says they're to be pure. Uh, that, what difference? We weren't that way. The storms that come that we become oblivious to. People, people who stop attending church regularly and life is going along just fine until they hit a snag and, and then they can't figure out why they feel so alone. <laughs> when you've been in a storm and You've just been oblivious. Parents who have been inconsistent in their walk with Christ and they can't understand why their kids run off the rails. It's a rude awakening sometimes to the reality that we've gone the opposite direction of God. In verse 6, the crew's crying out to their little G-gods. They all stop crying, but the storm doesn't stop. And finally... Finally, in verse 6, the captain goes below deck and he wakes Jonah up. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Now, let's go on through a couple more verses and then we'll back up from it. Look at verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this storm, this calamity. Now, people would cast lots. It, it, they would look like dice, right? They would throw these dice. And you're thinking, boy, that's gambling. Thank you for putting that in the Bible. No, it's not. Because the thing about it was is that God had set all of this up for them so that when they cast the lot, it was God who would choose the result. Proverbs 16, says, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. These sailors roll the dice and God reveals it. It points to Jonah. The truth is out. So in verses eight and nine, the sailors question Jonah. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? Where are you from? And in verse 9, Jonah replied, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And verse 10, verse 10 says, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Now, in parentheses underneath of that, there's a statement that says that they, these sailors, knew that Jonah was running away from the Lord. Isn't it amazing? that these guys knew you shouldn't run away from the God. They didn't know him. I'm sure they knew of him, though. 
They didn't know him personally, but they knew better than to run from him. And verse 11 sees, says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? In verse 12, the famous verse, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm because I know that it is my fault that a great storm has come upon you. Every week, every week, I, I think it's been probably six or seven years, Brandon can remind me because he remembers everything. But every week, the staff and I have prayed for the awakening of souls. Many of you have joined us in that prayer. I put it out most every Monday on the prayer email that you get, the awakening of souls. And what we mean by that is we are praying that God would do whatever he needs to do in order that the unchurched and unbelieving world would be awakened to the fact of who Jesus Christ is and his gospel message that God loves them so much that he sent his son for them that he would take the penalty of their sin, just like he did for us. That they would come and know his grace and his mercy. This prayer of awakening, though, is also directed to those who know God, but have gone the opposite direction of what he wants for their life. And my friends, that's where the storms come in. Don't be oblivious to them. Understand that the storms in your life are there as an opportunity for you to wake up, to turn, to come home to him before it's too late. That's what we see from this group of sailors caught in the storm with Jonah. They were awakened to the reality of the true and living God. And in verse 13 and 14, they do what we do. They tried to row themselves out of the storm, but they couldn't do it on their own. And so what did they do? They ended up on their knees, <laughs> praying to the God, asking him to stop the storm. What should we do? They prayed. And recognizing that what Jonah was asking them to do, throw him over, is what God confirmed to them in their prayer. Verse 15 says, they took Jonah... They threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. How many of you remember the show Mythbusters? Uh, I don't know if they're still doing that, but back when we had real TV, I, I'd watch that a lot in the evenings. Mythbusters, where, where they would take things that, that many believed as fact, right? And they, they would try to, try to bust it. I can't remember what they called it, but, uh, but, but they, they would try to disprove that. They would pr try to prove it to be a myth instead of real. And one time, Mythbusters tried to disprove that it, that it possible that that a big fish could swallow a man and hold him for three days and three nights. But you know what? They couldn't. They couldn't disprove it, but they also couldn't prove it. Why? Because this, my friends, is a supernatural miracle of God. Him sending this fish is no different than when he parted the Red Sea. Him sending this fish is no different than when he knocked down the walls of Jericho with the obedience of his people marching around that city, not with sledgehammers, but with the power of God. 
Jesus himself acknowledged the account of Jonah in Matthew 12, 40. A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. What's that saying to us? It's saying that God sent that fish not as a punishment. He sent it in order to save Jonah. Just as he sent Jesus Christ and the sign for the people that they needed was that Jesus Christ would stay in the tomb. But on the third day, by the power of God, he would arise. So God sent this fish and remember, this account, like all the others, isn't about Jonah, but it's about God. God loved Jonah, even in his disobedience. And so what does he do? He calls Enterprise Rent-A-Fish, right? <laughs> because they pick you up, okay? He, I know, corny. I'm 55 this year. God spoke to a fish, right? And he said, go get him. And the fish went and got him. And God does the same today. He's already done it through Jesus Christ. The God of second chances is always there to pull us up out of the deep. How many of you have been part of this church since the late 2000s? Several. Kelsey, you were like 10 at the time. Eight maybe, right? Remember, remember what we were known by? It, it was on our sign. It was in the bulletin. Anybody remember what it says? A, a people of second chances and new beginnings. My, my friend, we're still that church, right? When we approach this subject of going the opposite direction of God, when we're faced with Pride Month this month in our land, there's a whole lot of things that can be said, and, and believe me, I'm one of them sometimes that spouts this off. But God is calling us not to condone it, not to approve it, not to come alongside and hang a flag with it, but what he's calling us to do is to go and speak the truth in love that they might know his grace and his mercy. Just as you and I, over half of this church did not come from other churches. Over half of this church did not come from homes where God was honored. Most of you in this church, many of you in this church, the hundreds that have been here over the years now, came because you needed a second chance and God gave you one. And I'm thankful for that. And there's a whole world. That's what Nineveh needed. And that's what Jonah was so against. Jonah deserved death, just like Nineveh deserved death. But God, what did he do? He showed him extraordinary mercy. Just as he has for us through Jesus Christ. Now what happens next is important. Well, all of it's important. But while Jonah's in the belly of this fish, he has some time to think about it. He has some time to think about it. And what does he do? He prays. And that's what chapter two is, is it is his prayer. And hopefully you read it this week during your reading. But if you didn't, 
I've broken it down into three pieces for us. Verse one of chapter two. He said, I cried out to God and God answered me. Jonah in the midst of his difficulty, just like those pagans on the ship knew, just like many people in your life, maybe you even knew before you came to Christ, you know that, that the God, the God is the one that you go to. I cried out to the God, and the thing about the God is that he always answered. And so Jonah's discovering, he's understanding that there's no place you can run and hide from God that God does not see. He cried out to God because he knew that God was right there with him in that dark, stinky fish. That when we stop running and talk with God, he will provide the answers that we're looking for. I shared with the staff that there are a couple of things that I'm very, um, I'm very sorry that I haven't done in my life. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a real traditional home and a real traditional church. And anytime somebody raised their hands or anytime somebody clapped for a baptism, uh, we just thought all of a sudden it's all going to go to hell because everybody's Pentecostal. Right? It's just going to go crazy. Where's the snakes coming? And what that's done is it's for years had me standing with my hands in my pocket, but my heart on my knees. But I've done it so long now that I'm afraid what's going to happen if the people see the pastor get on his knees He's got cancer. He's got something wrong with him. Uh-oh, he's got the Holy Spirit in him. And next week, who knows what it's going to be. And friends, I, I'm embarrassed of that. And I'm repentant of that. You guys go to ball games and you go crazy. You go crazy when a star walks out on the floor. When you're a little G God, your kids that can't really even play ball get out on the floor. Well, you start yelling and, and shouting. But yet we stand with our hands in our pocket in front of God. So here's what I want us to do this weekend. I know it's new. I know some of you are going to freak out. But I want us to kneel before him. We don't have the kneelers. You don't need kneelers. You might need a record to get back up. <laughs> And so, you know, I don't, I don't expect Eileen to get on the floor. But everybody else in this section, I expect to. But if you would, let's get down on our knees and let's look at this three parts. There's three parts of Jonah's prayer. Some of you may have to turn sideways. Some of you may have to... Turn back towards the seat like I am. Whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do. You know, part of getting on our knees, part of getting on our knees is submission to the one who is far greater than us. Verse 1, verse 1, I cried out to God and he answered me. How does that translate? Well, it translates kind of like this. Father, Father, we're grateful that we can cry out to you directly no matter where we're at, no matter what ditch we've landed ourselves in. 
that you are present with us right there and that you have a plan that sometimes you even send a storm to let us know we need to turn to you. And sometimes you even send a big fish to swallow us up to save us from ourselves. Thank you for meeting me right where I am today. And thank you for the second chance that you've given me through Jesus Christ, who is my big fish, who came and swallowed up death in the grave. And if he can do that, he can do anything. I cried out to God and he answered me. Jonah went on to be honest about the depth of where his disobedience had taken him. Will you do that right now? Jonah said, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. What's that look like in your life right now? God, while I've been running, while I've been running, I've ignored the storms that you've allowed in my life and in the lives of those impacted by my running, especially those who don't believe. God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I have not been an example to them. This is a dark place that I find myself in. I'm responsible for me being here, no one else. And Lord, I feel like I'm stuck here, imprisoned in my mistakes. But what you have sent me, God, isn't punishment, but an opportunity to return to you, a real second chance. Jonah in verse nine said, I with the song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you, God. Why will I sacrifice to you? Because salvation comes from the Lord. God, whether you remove me from this darkness or not, and I'm convinced that Jonah had no idea as to what God was gonna do next with him. So whether you remove me from this darkness or not, whether you remove me from these circumstances, I worship you for who you truly are. I acknowledge that the salvation I need comes from obedience to you alone. And so God, I will do what's within my control and I will stop running. I will stop running. In fact, God, I wanna come home. I want to come home to you. My friends, thank God for Jesus who has broken the prison bars when he rose from the dead on the third day so that we don't have to live in this darkness forever. But he's provided a way for us to come home. Verse 10 says, Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And what we read is that Jonah would go on to deliver the warning to Nineveh. He would see them repent just as he feared they would. And even in this second chance God had given him in chapter 4, he just continues to struggle with seeing the people repent and receive God's mercy. His heart, his heart had not yet been changed by God's grace and mercy toward him. Is that your heart this weekend? Is you're in this position of surrender 
and humility. Is that your heart? You've had second chance after second chance after second chance. And you're just unwilling to forgive. You're just unwilling to admit that you were wrong. You're just unwilling to be accountable and responsible for the actions that you've taken outside of him. Is that the rub for you this weekend? You want to be obedient to God's call of surrender, but you know you've rejected it so many times or you've screwed it up so many times. Well, my friends, this weekend, it's time to stop running and come home to him. And so as you finish up this prayer between you and God this morning, will you call on him? Will you offer him a song of thanksgiving as you lay down your life for him again so that he can pick you up, he can set you on dry land, and he can help you as you go and do the things that he has planned for you to do? As gently as you can, if you need help getting up, let someone help you, but let's stand together. Instead, run into the arms of the one.